You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hey everybody, it is Wednesday evening, very rainy Wednesday evening. Time for American Winer. How's everybody doing? My name is Alex. Thanks for joining us this evening. My guest tonight, I just learned how to pronounce her name seconds ago, Rachel Cowan Burke. <laughs> Playwright, director, many, many things we will be talking uh, about as much as we can get to. But uh, thanks for joining me, Rachel. Well, thank you for having me. Um, you, uh, you're the most recent uh, Purple Rose class guest that I've had. Uh, a class that started a year ago now. Yeah. Um, and you are taking the class again this year. And you got invited to direct, apparently. So. I did. I did. I am incredibly excited about that. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm as of right now, I'm not taking the class, but uh, but that's really cool that because you just signed up for it, and then they they contacted you and were like, hey, do you want to direct this time? So that would be that's a step up, right? And and you'll probably, I mean, because you just got back from what's it called, the Michigan, the 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 Mitten Lab, the Mitten Lab for mm-hmm. your play Box Cutter that you submitted. Yes. Uh, and uh, so you you learned a bunch from that, and now you'll be learning a bunch in directing. So you're gonna be you're gonna be good to go after this. Yeah. Well, one would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, yeah. Well, I always start off this interview with the same question, though, and the question is, where were you born? I was born in Farmington, Missouri. Missouri. Mm-hmm. Where is Farmington, Missouri? Uh, Farmington, Missouri is about seventy miles south of St. Louis. Okay. Yeah. And did you stay in Farmington? Uh, I, I grew up there, and um, I was there until I was about 18 years old. Oh, so that your your entire childhood and adolescence pretty much was in Missouri. Yes, it was. And what was Farmington like? Well, Farmington is a rural town. My high school was across the street from a cow pasture. Um, our marching band actually shared uh, the football field with the cow pasture at times. Oh, really? Mm, that was uh, – yeah. So there were cows on the football field sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. Actually, the cows, um, they built a special tunnel that um, the cows would go underneath the road across the street to the adjoining cow pasture uh-huh. when we would have football games. So we wouldn't hit any landmines when we would do the halftime show. Oh, good. Yeah. So it was so special. Yeah. that's that's And, and so – you grew up in Farmington. Like, tell me about your childhood. Like, what were you into, and what 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 did you do? Well, yeah, i i was uh, I was a I was a band geek. Um, band geek. Mm-hmm. What did you play? Uh, I I was a percussionist. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, I I played pit percussion, um, and uh, I played piano since uh, I um, was the age of four. Um. And uh, I started doing theater when I was about 16 years old. Okay. Yeah. My brother, um, I have two older brothers, and the middle brother is the one who actually kind of got me started doing theater. Um, He did a production of Noises Off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Who were you? Uh, I I was not I was not in it. Um, He he was in it. He played Lloyd Dallas. Okay. And um, I fell in love with uh, theater watching that watching that production. Um, I uh, I tend to like a little bit of the more darker things um, and write a little bit more of the darker things. So you would never probably know that Noises Off is what got me started into theater. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that was it. <laughs> but that was it. Yes, yes. Noises off was my jumping off point. The very f- I saw noises off. Um, I did the very brief 
participation I did in theater in college mm-hmm. was lights for noises off, and I'd never seen it. <laughs> but they did – they rehearsed just the opening scene where the – I forget – it might be Lloyd. Is, is Lloyd the guy who's always going – she's being all you know and he never finishes his sentences? Um, no. Lloyd is um, – he's the director. Oh, so he's the – so it was between Lloyd and the and the character who's, <laughs> who can never finish his sentences and then, <laughs> yeah. and then the, the woman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, I'll never forget the – you know, thank you, Gary. I think his name's mm, Gary. Mm-hmm, he's, mm-hmm. Thank you, Gary. Get off the fucking stage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's it. <laughs> so that's a good show. Um, yeah. But uh, – but but you know it's a comedy and you don't you don't do comedy you do you do no. darker stuff yeah yeah well uh, we'll get to that but uh okay. so you as a child child you were in, you were in band you were a percussionist mm-hmm. in band didn't do theater till you were 16 yeah. what other interests did you have prior to theater and, and and band um art 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 i love drawing my mom um my mom was uh she she got me into drawing um, she, that was something that uh, she was very, very, very good at. Mm-hmm. Um, she was uh, she did painting. Um, she would uh, heavily deny her her artistic talent. Um, if she was sitting here next to me, but um, it's kind of I think where I inherited my drawing skill from. Mm-hmm. Um, she uh, she has an incredible skill for uh, cartoons and and different things like that. Um, and that's, that's something that, uh, that actually my daughter and I like to, to do now is sit down and draw as oh, well. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Has your daughter drawn with your mom at all? Um, you know, my, my family is still all back in Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, and we only get to see them probably once a year if we're lucky. Um, but, uh, that's something that they get to do, uh, for sure when, when we see them, but. Cool. What kind of stuff was she said she painted and stuff like? What would she? She landscapes or like you said cartoons? Yeah, like- yeah. She she um. There's this one um, particular painting I remember in partic- um that she had done and it was um she was a she was a child of the 70s and uh, she painted this um it was called like the wet noodle band I think is what she called it but it was like this very very psychedelic characters like um I, I don't know if it was like uh. If you would see, uh, they almost look like, um, like nightmarish. What, what was that? Like Hamburglar from McDonald's? Hamburglar, the, the rabble rabble guy? Yeah, yeah. Like on acid. Okay, the Hamburglar on Acid, and it was called the Wet Noodle. Like the, the Wet Noodle Band, like she would, she she created these. Oh, it's the Wet Noodle Band. So it's like this yeah. gang of of dudes that look like the Hamburglar. I'm picturing yeah, like these like blue, that. like the Hamburglar only with everything blue instead of black. Yeah, no, it was crazy. I, I hope I'm remembering this correctly. I saw it when <laughs> I was like really young, so maybe this is just the image that like seared itself into my cornea. But um, I just remember it was like these really psychedelic paintings of these things wearing bell bottoms and they were just these really trippy um, paintings of cartoon characters. What noodle gang. Yeah, huh. yeah. They were crazy. Um, so what kind of a student were you? Um, I, I was a good student. I, I, did, my, I did my homework. Um, I, um, I, I, was an, I was an A student. Mm-hmm. What were you – did you have any particular interests like in terms of career at that point when you were a good student? You know, I always kind of thought that I would go into the artistic field of some sort. Um, I know at one point um, I wanted to be a voiceover actor. Mm. 
um, when I was younger. Um, but, uh, I went through different phases of, I want to be a voiceover actor. I want to be an, a stage actor. Um, but, uh, writing, I think has always been in the back of my mind. And, um, it was in high school. There were a couple teachers, um, that were really encouraging about that. Um, they had read a couple of short stories that, uh, that I had written and, um, some just essays that I had done. And um, how old, this is in high school? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, they were supposed to be academic essays, like, you know, what you would turn in in a Western civilization class, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and uh, I had a, a teacher in particular um, that was that was really encouraging, and uh, I just remember turning in essays in his class, and he instead of marking down the content, um, uh, he he would give me an A on the paper for the way it was written in mm-hmm. the style. And he was incredibly encouraging on that. And I have never forgotten that encouragement. What was his name? His name is Brian Reeves. Reeves. Okay. Yeah. And actually, um, I, uh, when I, when I got accepted into the mitten lab, um, he was somebody, I, I emailed him mm. and, uh, you know, I kind of, I thanked him for, for being, encouraging you know because it's something that sticks with people yeah did he get back to you he did he did actually get back to me and uh it was it was really neat um it meant a lot had you talked to him prior like between when you emailed no so that's pretty cool then that you made that connection you know years after the fact yeah so um so what what did your parents do for a living or what do they do uh my mom is a preschool teacher okay um, and my dad, he, he was a cop for the, the majority of my growing up. And, um, he, um, went on to become a prosecuting attorney investigator. Um, he, he passed away when I was 18 though. Um, so, uh, but, uh, yeah, my mom is still a preschool teacher, mm-hmm. um, in, uh, in Missouri. Down in Farmington. In Farmington. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I want, this next part of the conversation, I, I don't, I, I, I do my research on people, but like there's, there's not a whole lot of information on you between, you know, for, you know, before you started writing basically and, uh, that I could find on Facebook or social oh, media anyway. Okay. But, um, uh, what happened when you turned 18 then? I mean, obviously you said your dad passed away, mm-hmm. but you graduated from high school. Mm-hmm. Did you go to college? Like what was the next thing? I did. I went to the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. Really? Yes. yes. And so tell me about, like, how did that happen? How did you get in there and why did you choose to go there? Um, I, I interviewed for the school um, and uh, I wanted to go to film school there um, because uh, I ultimately, you, you'd asked, you know, what, what were things that I was interested in. I ultimately um, decided that I wanted to go into film, um, particularly into production. Um, doing like t- directing or like what was the technical stuff, technical stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, cinematography oh, in, okay. in particular. Yeah. I liked, I liked the, the technical aspects of that. 
Um, so I, uh, I interviewed for that school because at the time it was growing to be one of the top film schools in the country right now. I think it's in the top five. Mm-hmm. So, you know, congratulations, UNCSA school filmmaking for that. That's, that's, that's pretty. That's an accomplishment. Yeah. <laughs> good, good job for you guys. Yay. They're, yay, fighting pickles. They are the fighting pickles. The fighting pickles, huh? They are. They are the fighting pickles. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I, I went there. Um, I graduated from, from there in, uh, in 2008. Um, and I, uh, worked, uh, in the film industry on the East Coast for a little while. Um, I got lucky enough to work, um, on the Outer Banks in North Carolina, um, filming some documentary work there. Um, just for some promotional stuff for Mantio and, um, uh, some of the other, uh, little strips of, of the, the island mm-hmm. islands out there. And, um, after, uh, after I was finished with that, I moved to California. Where in California? Los Angeles. Okay. I moved out there in 2008 and, uh, I worked as a camera assistant. Um, for um, just a number of different productions, um, working on commercials and um, doing different things, different odd jobs, and uh, you know, just basically trying to live in uh, in a ridiculously expensive place and trying to keep my head above water. And in doing so, uh, moonlighted a little bit at uh, I say moonlighted as if you know I had any other option. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, I worked at a, at a motorcycle shop. I worked oh, okay. at a Harley Davidson, um, in Glendale. Um, and, uh, that was, um, a place where it granted me the opportunity, uh, as fun bit of trivia to, um, join their, uh, Bonneville racing team. Oh, like motorcycle racing? Yes. So did you, you, you became a motorcycle racer then? I, I briefly, raced uh motorcycle um i went to the bonneville salt flats mm. in 2010 and uh and took a land speed record there really yes, no. I did. what was this record um i went 139 miles an hour oh my god yeah. and had you had any experience with that prior to working at that dealership no actually i'd never ridden a motorcycle before i worked at that shop but you took to it yeah do you still have a motorcycle now no no, no actually um i uh, uh i met my husband working at that shop um and uh we um moved down to san diego um and uh before we moved here um, we moved here in uh, 2010. 2010. Yeah, and um, I sold my motorcycle before we before we moved here, but yeah, no, before uh, before we went out to to uh, to Utah, I had never ridden a motorcycle before. Wow! And so, what was that like getting on? It was it just because you know sometimes they say like inspired amateurs are the best people to to try something because. Like other people are thinking too much about yeah. their training and stuff, whereas you just probably got on it and were like, yeah, pretty much. 130 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, the, like, you know, they say no bad habits or, or anything like that. I was just trying, you know, not to fall off. Mm-hmm. So, um, but uh, yeah, it was, it was a, you're basically, you know, you don't have any traction on your tires. 
Um, they, they strip all that off. And so you're on bald tires, basically on glass. Oh, my God. Go so ahead. how long does it take you to stop then? Um, you get a mile to slow down. Oh, my God. Yeah. That is crazy. So, so how, how long did you do that then? Like that, that particular thing, like that was only like two years, it sounds like, a couple of years. Like, well, I was, uh, I worked, uh, yeah, I worked as a shop, but I only went out to Bonneville one time. Oh, really? Yeah. And then you're like, I got the record. I don't need to do pretty anything much, else. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I'm just like, meh, I'm done. I took it. I took it away from it. I did, I almost kind of did it on like, like a dare because one of the guys that I worked at a shop with, um, he was he's being like an asshole about it. He's like, oh, you can't do it. And like, I'm like, okay, well, I'm gonna. Mm-hmm. So I did. Wow. Well, so at the same time, though, you were working, you said you were a camera assistant. Mm-hmm. So you're working in the film industry. And that's a pretty badass, like, California story. You know, that's <laughs> sort of both aspects of it. It's like, I worked in the film industry and I did something cool with motorcycles or like yeah. cars or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so, um, but then you said you moved to San Diego. Yes. And how long were you in San Diego? Uh, we were in San Diego for about two years. Okay. And then you came to Michigan. Yeah. And how did you end up in Michigan after doing all that cool shit on the West Coast? You'd been on both coasts. Uh, yeah. Why Michigan? Yeah. Um, all my husband's family is here. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, oh, I said we moved out here in 2010. That's that's not correct. We moved out here in 2012. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, my husband was born and raised in Detroit. Oh, all right. Yeah. Um, so I had <laughs> – I had my daughter in 2012, um, and uh, since we wanted to be closer to family, my family's in Missouri. His family is all here, and so um, we we really did not want to be that far away from you know uh, both of our families. So we moved back here. Okay, and what does your husband do? He works um, with Amrock. Amrock. Uh, Quicken. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. And what did he do out there? He said he worked at the shop, but yeah. that, that was what he did. Yep, he worked with he worked with Harley. He worked for Harley for uh, twenty years. Oh wow! Yeah. Um. So when you got to Michigan, what what went through your head? Because you moved out here for family, so yeah. it wasn't like an economic thing. You were, so what were you planning on doing when you got out here? Then what was going through your head? Stay at home, mom. That was what you're. Oh yeah, because you just yeah. had your daughter. So, yeah. but so what was that like then? Tell me about tell me about doing that. Well, that was uh, that was a big change. For for sure, um, you know it's uh, anybody who's had a kid um, that's and, and decides to um, become a stay at home mom. Almost, and, and I don't say this in any negative sense, but you almost go through kind of an identity death mm-hmm. or identity crisis because you have to change everything. Um, and it, and it's not just the mom, it's, it's the dad too. Um, because you go through this whirlwind of sleep deprivation and, um, you know, when, when the, when the baby's first born and, um, it's, uh, wonderful and, and horrifying all at the same time <laughs> because mm-hmm. you suddenly have this, this other, um, person that, uh, that you you have to be responsible for it's not just you um for you know eternity yeah <laughs> forever <laughs> yeah uh, but so the identity crisis though like you like what was that like though i mean like cuz you said it's basically what i i don't have kids but like i've what i've heard described to me is it's you basically have to become an adult whether you want to or not exactly yeah. So, so what was I mean? 
did you get to a point where you kind of realized like, Hey, I'm, I'm doing all the stuff that I needed to be doing. And I like, I went through like the identity crisis is over and I didn't even realize that it was going on or was it sort of a process where you're like, I'm, I'm doing this now and, uh, and, and I have to get through it sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it happens all at once because if you don't, you don't do it, you, the, the, the baby doesn't make it right yeah yeah, yeah well, that's yeah. not that that's not what i meant like like because you said um you you went through it and it was just i've talked to a bunch of my friends that have kids i remember the first one i asked her after i i hadn't seen her in about she had two kids by the time i'd seen her i, I hadn't seen her she had the two kids and a couple of years went by and then i saw and i remember asking her is motherhood what you thought it was going to be mm-hmm. And she was like, you know, honestly, they just eat and shit and sleep for the first like couple months anyway. Right. So like, it wasn't right. really. So I've always kind of had it in my head, you know, that that that's that's what it is. And I'm sure that there's the sleep deprivation. I have another mm-hmm. friend of mine. Not to make this, you know, to to get too off track here, but uh, I'll never forget this. A good friend of mine had his son, and this dude is uh, a big guy. He's like we used to he, the. The joke among my friends is he's the strongest man in the universe. He's this huge dude. And uh, he had his kid. And uh, I remember I hadn't – again, I hadn't seen him. And I saw him last December. And so I was talking to him about fatherhood. And he's like, man, like the first – again, those first couple like months, those first like six months where you you haven't slept in like properly and and you can't remember the last time you slept. (laughs) And he's like, I remember just looking down at this screaming infant and not being – but he's like – I can get you through this. That's what he was. He's like, that's why I, I just, I had this sort of like uh epiphany of like, yeah. I can get you through this part of your life. Yeah. And, and uh, so that, that's, that's what my experience with it, you know, yeah. as far as the people that I've talked to. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and now I've lost my fucking train of thought. <laughs> that's but, kind of what it's like. Yeah. That's kind of exactly what it's like. Just right fucking now. That's, that's exactly well, it. So anyway, so your, your daughter, so she, she was born in 2012. She's yeah. eight now. So she's seven, seven. Seven and a half. Seven and a half. That's extremely important to have. It's extremely oh, important. Is it? Talking to them, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, so – as far as you though, you did you took care of her for a couple of years and then you started branching out and doing things on your own again. Like what was when when yeah. did the playwriting come in? That's what I want to know. Like oh, when okay. did your yeah. your hobbies start to resurface? Yeah, after um, the identity crisis was over. After all of that was done, after I found myself again, um, so the the playwriting actually started again uh, this year. You you've only been doing it. You've been doing it less than a year. <laughs> well, I've been I've been playwriting again for less. Than oh, okay. A year. When yeah. did you first start playwriting? Then? Okay, so let me tell you about the very first play that I I, I wrote. Okay, that is on the question list. So yeah. let's do it. Okay, okay. So um, the very first play that I I wrote um, was uh, I transcribed um, from memory. Uh, a Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, that's an awesome movie. Yes, isn't it though? So I I uh, plagiarized it mm-hmm. uh, when I was in like fifth grade um, because I thought that the um, the play that they were doing that year was a um, a dumpster fire. So I 
wouldn't you do something? I have this better play. It involves puppets. <laughs> right. Yeah. So not only was it impossible. Yeah. Not only was it going to be impossible to do, it was um, already done as a movie and plagiarized. Um, so that, yeah. So that, that was the, the very first But you thing. transcribed it from memory. I did. So how long did that take you to like go down and, and uh, get it all down? Um, I don't know, like a week or something. And I did it. It was just before I was the good student. I did it during uh, my social studies class. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I did it because um, I did it because I was uh, I was uh, crushing on on this guy in my social studies class, and I was going to make him Scrooge. And I thought that that he was going to be like, you know, if I wrote this role for yes, you, yeah. <laughs> yes. I I plagiarized this role of uh, that Michael Caine played. And I want you to do it. <laughs> because Did he look like Michael Caine? He looked like a young... nothing like Michael Caine. This he had like a like a bowl cut. This kid, and it was. But did it work? It's a, it didn't work out though. It didn't the, work out at all. Oh uh, well. No. That's a noble. That's a noble. Uh, noble effort. I Transcribing an, an entire movie. How old were you when you did that? It was, I was in fifth grade. So ten. You yeah. were ten years old. Yeah. But that's I've, a lot of writers I know started off doing stuff like that. Yeah. Like they would write. They would transcribe stuff that they already liked. Yeah. And just kind of see it in in script form or whatever. Yeah. And uh but that was a, is that what started the writing bug then for you is like you were like hey this is fun I should try doing something that yeah. I came up with. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and so something that I actually did, you know, did write um was when I was uh a play that I actually did help write was when I was in um high school. Um it was um I was helping do um, these, uh, no, not in high school. Sorry. It was, um, when I was right before I was going to go to UNCSA. Okay. Um, there was a community college that would do, um, a, a play to, uh, raise awareness, um, in December for, um, AIDS awareness, um, and raise money for a place called Mark's Place. Um, and, uh, I got to help write uh, a play for that, and um, it had an LGBTQ theme to it. And in the area that I was in, um, they did not produce a lot of plays that had that theme, mm-hmm. um, which was dumb. Well, this is rural Missouri too, right? Yeah. So that's kind yeah. of yeah, yeah, and that's that's not the way it is now, or at mm-hmm. least I hope it's not. Um, but at that at that particular um, uh, community theater, that was just not something that they did. And um, I wanted to write something that depicted a relationship between two men realistically, mm-hmm. and. Um, <laughs> And and it did, and uh, it it uh, it got it got some some pearls clutched mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a little bit, and um, but you know not for shock value or anything. Um, well, what was it? What did end? What ended up happening with it? I mean, you put it on, but like, what was it about and everything? You know, like, what was the? Um, it it was about uh, two young men, and one was going through experimental treatments um, through the NIH, and um, it. Um, ultimately was just about um, looking at 
their self in the mirror and accepting who they were mm-hmm. kind of in that type of a community. Um, and, um, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's just difficult for young men in that area at the time, um, to have, to have grown up, um, there, uh, the two, the two young men who, who got to play those roles, um, I don't think we're out mm-hmm. at the time. Um, and so it was, it was interesting to, but that must've been a really like, you know, great thing for them though, to like, is it maybe if they did, if they didn't want to come out or if they weren't comfortable or that they hadn't admitted to it, they went that, that play was about that. So they got to sort of experience it. I would, if, I mean, obviously I can't speak for anybody, but like, if that were me, that would help if I needed to do that, you know? Yeah. And and like you said, it was, nobody had really done that sort of thing at that point and you were 18, you know? So that's, you're a bit of a pioneer there too, you know? Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but uh, had you written any? Had you been writing at all before that? Just anything, like not necessarily plays, but like you know, between in between plagiarizing the Muppet Christmas Carol and the <laughs> the uh, the pioneering uh, LBGTQ play, uh, um, was there anything else? Uh, just just short stories. Um, oh yeah, I, the short stories you mentioned. What what yeah. kind of stuff would you write when it came to that? Um, I had to write um, a short story to get into UNCSA. Um, and I wrote an absurdist short story um, about a shopping cart um, that uh, decided to start a Marxist revolution about people who wouldn't put their shopping carts away ah. um, in the parking lot. Um, so that's that's what got me into UNCSA. Was most of the stuff <laughs> that you wrote – like have you always kind of been all over the place? Like you said you write dark but like I mean yeah. shopping cart starting Marxist revolution isn't really <laughs> – that's, yeah. that's definitely absurdist, yeah. right? Um, so, I mean, is that in terms of like what you were doing in between those two, as you were in your adolescence, was it kind of like, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try this, I'm going to yeah. try this? Yeah. I mean, I, I think you, you kind of have to do that um, to find your voice. I mean, you can't just stick with one thing. Um, one of one of the the best things that I, I think I've ever written was um, – or ever – not written, but read um, – by one of my uh, one of my favorite, excuse me, by one of my favorite playwrights, um, Hallie Pfeiffer, she wrote, um, "You have to write really bad for it to be good." Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's primarily um, what I've done is write really bad <laughs> to find things that um, that have been actually good. Okay. Um- so after you wrote this 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 play then and you'd wrote the short story to get into to uh, North Carolina. Um so it, and but then it you, you didn't do it sounds like you didn't really do anything after yeah. that until after until this year. Yeah. It was and, and it, no writing at all. Like you had other interests and things and you just Well, I wrote um my my to my minor in at UNCSA was screenwriting. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you wrote some screenplays and things. Yeah, short Short things. Short, short yeah, films. Yeah, between five and ten minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah. But you freaking like everything that you've – it's interesting because, I mean, we're only halfway through the show here and already you've told me a bunch of stuff about yourself. And literally everything that you've set out to do, you just you just kind of did. Like a lot of people that even that come on here, they're like, well, I wanted to do this and I tried it and it didn't work out. So I went over to this other thing. I tried that and yeah. you know, blah, 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 blah. You were like, uh, well, I'm going to do this. 
Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go out to California. I'm, I'm gonna work uh, on the East Coast. So you did that for a little bit. I, I'm gonna go to California. I'm gonna be a camera assistant. Oh, there's some. More, I need a second job. I think I'll do this Harley <laughs> dealership. And then two years after that, you've broken a freaking record. You know. And then and then you're like you're like oh, I think I'll I'll do this. I'll be a stay at home mom. And you, you do you do that successfully. <laughs> and and now you're like this past year you're, you're like I think I'll write a play. And then what's I'm laughing because uh, you before we were on air. You told me I thought you'd been at this for like years. Like it's cause just because it, that's usually how it goes, right? Like you, like you said, you have to write bad before you can write good, and right. usually people's bad period is a long is a long ass time. Mm-hmm. But um, you wrote a play called Box Cutter, mm-hmm. and uh, this past spring for the Mitten Lab. Yes, and uh, and I was like, well, how long did I take? And you're like, oh, maybe about a month. And now you're telling me like you hadn't even you had, that was like the first thing that you'd written in a while, then, huh? Yeah. yeah. So, and then it got you into this lab out of. What you said, 80, 90 people applied yeah. for it, and then there were twelve finalists, yeah. and then they narrowed it down to four. You weren't one of the initial four, but somebody dropped out, and yeah. so you got in. Yes. So four out of eighty or ninety after again. So that's that's pretty crazy that you yeah. just you just sort of have this knack for taking to things. You yeah. know, have well, you ever noticed that? <laughs> <or is> it... <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. You know, if 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 you if you want something, you um. Pursue it to death, mm-hmm. or, or I mean, that's at least the way I look at it. Um, do it or die. Well, so let's let's talk about this year then, because what when you started writing again? I mean, you said you wrote box cutter for the Mitten Lab, yeah. Um, but like, like what was that like? Because I mean, when you sat down and you started pounding it out, because again, like that was the first thing. Like that was the, so you saw the Mitten Lab ad, and you're like, yes. I think I want to write something again. And I had, and you hadn't done it since college. It sounds like, yeah. Um, so what was that like? Just tell me about what it was like sitting down for that first day and just and just pounding that thing out. Did it did it uh, did it come easily, or was it was it sort of a struggle at first? Um, well, I I had notes. Um, and kind of a, a really rough outline, um, of what I wanted the, the story to be. And, and kind of my, um, writing process is I have to know what the ending is going to be. Mm-hmm. I have to have a clear idea of everything that is going to happen at the end. Like I have to almost to the final word, um, of what the character is going to say. If I don't have that, then I have nothing to work toward. Um, you know, you can have, <clears throat> excuse me, you can have, um, a, a general idea of, for me, you can, I can have a general idea of different things that are going to happen throughout the story. But if I don't have anything to, to work toward, I have nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you write the ending first, then? Not necessarily. I, I don't write, necessarily write the ending first. I, I need to know what it is. Oh, okay. Um, but I need to, know what i'm working toward mm-hmm. um so with box cutter you knew the ending yes okay yeah and for everything i found that i need to sit that when i sit down to write i just i cannot write it if i don't know the ending mm-hmm. um it's just like you don't I, I just don't have any direction um usually I, i'm just i i think that with anything that i write going forward um if one thing is never going to change, it's never going to be the ending mm-hmm. of a show that I write. That is interesting because, like, a lot of people, like they say, like uh, Game of Thrones. I don't know if you're a Game of Thrones fan. I've never watched. 
You've never watched it? It's, it's, it's interesting because the ending of that was so bad. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the thing is, is like they say, the, the, the first couple seasons of that show are some of the best TV ever. Mm-hmm. But because the ending is so shitty, you can't go back and watch those three, uh, three seasons of amazing TV and have them mm-hmm. still be amazing because all you can think about is how shitty the ending oh. is and you know where it's leading, right? Yeah. So knowing the ending, if they'd have known the ending, I think they did know the ending. They just they just sucked at getting there. Ugh. But uh, that that's that is a uh, like like another thing. Um, Harry Potter, yeah. J.K. Rowling said she knew the ending, the the last word, which was scar, I believe. Uh-huh. Um, she knew that going in seven books, you know, before she got to it. Yeah. So uh, that's 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 probably good advice. To, yeah. to, you know, that's a good process. Yeah. But in terms of like the actual fleshing out the story, because if you know the ending. It also can be kind of restrictive because you're like, if you start writing the story and the story wants to go this way, but the ending is the opposite direction, you got to sort of force the story to stay on on path, right? Well, I I, I could see that, um, uh, but I, I don't know. I don't know that that's that's necessarily um, true because there's so many different ways that you could get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, let's let's say that uh, that. Uh, you know, like I know that uh, I don't know the, the the character's last line and and the last visual is just going to be somebody um, standing there. Um, let me let me give you an example. The end the, the end visual of box cutter is a little girl getting <laughs> her nose smashed with um, a refrigerator door getting her nose smashed with an iPad. That's the ending. That is that is. That is that was my last. Visual. The last thing that happens. Yeah. Okay, it's a little girl. She gets her nose smashed and gets knocked out <laughs> with an iPad. That's the visual that I had. Isn't that lovely? And so that actually is pretty. Uh, you know, there's that's not too specific. It's no. specific, but it's not so specific that you're like, you know, so really all you've got to make sure that you've set up is why is the fridge there? Why is the girl in front of the fridge? Yes. Why is there an iPad on the fridge? Mm-hmm. And everything else. That is pretty pretty freeing. Yeah. Um. But. Uh, well, so now that you've given us that that bit of a spoiler, <laughs> uh, t- talk about box, box cutter and like what it's about and and okay. why did you why was that the story that you wanted to tell? All right, um, box cutter uh, is is about um, a woman named uh, Lou um, and her family. She has a, a young daughter and a husband. Um, <laughs> I'll ask right away. Is this autobiographical at all? <laughs> semi, semi autobiographical. Um, it, it does. It does take a a, a lot of root um, uh, in uh, in reality. Your um, daughter has never been smashed in the face with an iPad, she though. Has I hope never <laughs> been smashed in the face with an iPad. <laughs> um, thank God. Um, but uh, it it does it does have a have a lot of base in. Uh, in, in your own life, in my own life, um, and in a lot of uh, not so much in my own life, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it it deals with um, this woman kind of um, tracking her life um, through um, her her bipolar disorder and her relationship uh, um, between that and how it affects. Um, her life with and her relationship with her daughter and her husband and her fear of um, it being passed on to her daughter and um, whether or not it's been um, 
affecting their relationship um, because at that point she doesn't know if uh, her daughter's lost the genetic lottery on that one. Mm-hmm. Is bipolar disorder genetic? It is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, but uh, the the whole thing about it is that um, she obviously doesn't want her daughter to inherit the 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 extreme traits um, that this this carries um, because she's lived. Um, through some some pretty awful shit um, and has seen what the um, manic side and the depressive side can can do and how it can destroy um, a person on both sides. And um, she just um, tries to remove herself s- systematically and slowly. Um, from her daughter's life throughout the course of the play. Um, and so that's the plot then. It's basically yeah. just this, this woman who real, who's, who's trying to, to, who's worried that her daughter has inherited this from her in order to, mm-hmm. and even if she has, in order to make, to sort of mitigate yeah. the, the negativity of that, she's yeah. slowly trying to, throughout the play, she's trying to, Mm-hmm. To remove herself, I it's I know we're trying not to give any spoilers right, here, even yeah. though we've given away the ending. Right, but but uh, but so that's the the general plot. How how long is it then? Um, it would run about ninety minutes. Okay, yeah. And at the Mitten Fest or at the Mitten Lab, <laughs> Mitten Fest is something else. Um, uh. What did they? What did they tell you? If you, if you if you can reveal anything, I don't know if you if you you're comfortable, you know, talking about that part of it. But uh, yeah. you know, like what uh, what did they? What sort of things did they tell you? And 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 what did they change? Yeah. Um. Well, the the original story that I sent um was uh muddied. Um, the character dynamics were a little bit more. Um, muddy because there there are four characters in the story. Um, there's the the mom, the dad, the kid, and then an extra character who comes in. Um, and there's a relationship between this this extra outside character who's not part of the family. And um, in in the original draft, um, the the mom and the character um, the character's name is the mom is Lou, and the, the other character her name is Sherry. They actually met at um, a Burger King and um, decided to um, form this relationship over uh, binge-watching Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah. good thing to binge-watch. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that's – is that where the title comes from? Yeah, yes. Oh, uh, awesome. Yes. That was the first thing I thought of when I'm like, oh, it's a Breaking Bad episode, a very <gasps> graphic Breaking Bad episode. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. Um, yeah, there's, there's – uh, that that episode ties a lot in um, weaves in and out a oh, okay. lot um, through, throughout uh, that, including um, Walter's like very sizable monologue that uh, he's pleading with Gus right before the guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, his, yeah. Trying to convince yeah. him, like, yeah, yeah. This is in that Brian Cranston way. You yes, know? yes, yeah. His whole his whole thing. Monologue. We need to. We just need to cook. You just yes. need to let us cook, yes. Gus. Yeah. yeah, that's in there. <laughs> let us make you money. Uh huh. Yeah, that whole that whole monologue. And so that parallels like is Walter White's obsession sort of like paralleled with the with Lou's? Yes. 
Yeah, yeah. She's got the duality of uh, Heisenberg and Walter White. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that kind of tracks throughout as well. Well, what's going on with this play then? Like, what are you going to do with it next? Like, what's the the next thing trajectory? Uh, I I think I think I'm allowed. I think I can. I think you can say this. Um, uh, the next thing is I've I've finished a, a second draft of it. Um, as of yesterday. Um. And it is in the hands of the Flint Repertory Theater now, and um, it's going to be part of their New Works Festival in January. Nice. And when is when is in January? But like, you know, the dates on it yet? Or I do not. I do not know the dates of it. Um, but I'm really excited to be a part of that because they they came to me. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, is like you wrote it less than a year ago, and then you'll be seeing it in January. You know. Are you going to be directing it or are you going to be – I think I'm just going to sit back and – Let them do their thing? Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a staged reading um, oh, okay. of it. So I think everything that they do for the New Works Festival is a staged reading. But I mean they bring in – I think um, a couple of years ago they had um, someone from the, the – I don't know his name, but the, the guy who wrote Urine Town. Oh, yeah, and yeah. I mean they bring people like that to bring in their new works too. So I'm just like kind of geeked out about – the people that they bring in yeah. that my stuff will be read next to. So it's I'm excited. I'm really excited about that. You wrote another play called Unobtainable Calm. Yes. Um we're running a little short on time here, but I do want to talk about it. Um because what tell me the story with that. Um that one's a short. That one's um about fifteen fifteen minutes. Um that one is um I got to do that one at um perform that one was performed at uh, Planet Ant actually. Right, right, um, yeah. Yeah, for um Box Fest in in August. Um, that one is about this guy who has been, he had been living with, uh, an earworm, um, for, uh, five, ten years or so. And, um, he finally meets up, um, with, uh, this, this woman who he thinks, um, can, can help him resolve his problem. And, um, he, he goes through this whole long lecture. It's just him. It's just one giant monologue of him lecturing this woman and it comes to find out this woman killed his wife in a horrific car crash but what's what he ends up telling her is that um the earworm that he has is a voicemail from his wife um and uh it, it is a death rattle oh. and that's the last thing that he hears from his wife and, and that's sort of like tinnitus. Only it's it just keeps playing over and over and over in his in his head. Uh, well, a death rattle. Ear, no, not oh. a, an earworm. Oh the, yeah, 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 an, an earworm. And um, this woman that um, that he's been lecturing, um, she she's become kind of like this holistic guru um, that has uh, transformed her life or whatever off of his and his you know his dead wife's tragedy. Um, you know, she's, she's, she's become this, uh, I don't know, almost, almost like akin to a born again or, or whatever. But, um, you know, she's, she's become very exploitative mm -hmm. off of that tragedy. And, uh, so he comes in and, uh, is like, you know, if you're gonna be taking, you know, if you're, you're gonna make money off of my tragedy, you know, you're gonna have every single part of it. Mm -hmm. And so he plays the, the message, the for, message her. for her. Uh. And then he, he, kibbles himself in in front of her and Jesus. yeah <laughs> right 
Um, <laughs> smacked in the little girl smacked in the face with an iPad. <laughs> dude shooting himself. Right. No. <laughs> well, he he actually he um, he injects himself with fentanyl. Oh. So so he. That is another way to do it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he uh, he had he performs a death rattle in front of her while his uh, wife's death rattle plays, and she has to live with those sounds in her head for the rest of her life now, too. What the hell? Where did that story come from? Um, I, I have, I have unfortunately heard a, heard a death rattle and it is a, it's, it's a sickening sound. Um, and it, it is very, very hard to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was just, I don't know. It was just one of those things. It's like, what if, you know, what if <laughs> that was, uh, what if somebody tried to exploit that? Mm-hmm. Um, are you doing anything else with that coming up? Unobtainable calm? Um, no, I've I've had a couple of um, uh, thoughts about sending it out. Um, to, there's some there's some uh, um, festivals that, um, around the country that are calling for uh, some ten minute play submissions. Um, uh, not ten minute, uh, 15, 15, 20 minute play submissions. Um, so I've been thinking about sending it to that. So okay. I have a couple of rapid fire questions for you. Mm-hmm. Easy things. Okay. Um, who are your influences when it comes to writing? Uh, Hallie Pfeiffer, um, Tracy Letts, for sure. Um, Jen Silverman, um, David Auburn, David Rabe, uh, Key Key Gwynn. Um, he wrote. She kills monsters. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 The, the girl who hunts giants or yes. whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I love that one, and I love his his other one, Allison Slasherland. That one's that one's really really great. Um. So yeah, those are some. Well, what are your favorite plays? Um, I love Bug. Bug. Yeah. I don't think I've heard it. I know I've heard the title, but I'm not yeah. familiar with the plot of that. That's that's the Tracy Let's Play. It is okay. Yeah, yeah that's that's where I would. Is yeah. that the one where the dude gives the monologue and he's talking about how his dad's a potato? No, no, no. that's no. something else. I'm, that was Grant Shod. It was the Grant Shod monologue. Anyway, yeah. uh, but uh, so you love Bug. Mm-hmm. What else? Um, I love Sweat by Lynn Nottage. Mm-hmm. Um, I love uh, Detroit '67 by Dominique Morisot. Um. I love um, uh, Phoebe in Winter by Jen Silverman. Um, I'm going to Pray for You So Hard um, by Hallie Pfeiffer. Uh, that's a, that's a, oh, God, that one's really, really heartbreaking. It's really, really good. I recommend that for everybody to read that. I'm going to Pray for You So Hard. Yes. Yeah. Anything by Hallie Pfeiffer. Everybody read Hallie Pfeiffer. We talked about this question a little bit before we were on uh, off. Well, while we were off the air, before we were on the air, uh, what play do you wish you'd written? Uh, Did you come up with anything in the hour? Because we, before we were on, you're like, I can't really think of anything. I'm like, just say you can't think of anything if you can't. So I think the uh. only one, the only one that I think I could, I could probably come up with was, and probably get a ration of shit for this one was Oleana, only because it has it's able to transcend. All of the decades since it's been written <laughs> um, because women would be able to identify with the with Carol, the character of Carol so hard, especially in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, or you, you've 
I'm not familiar. No, oh. you can t- tell us about it. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, it's it's a two person show, um, and it's uh, between a professor and a student. And um, I think I think the tagline um, it was it was made into a movie with uh, William H Macy, and I think the tagline for for the movie was "No matter what side you take, you're you're wrong." Oh, okay. Um, uh, but um, it's it's all about a, a power struggle between the, the student and, and the teacher. Um, and uh, deals with uh, sexual harassment or implied sexual harassment. Um, but I, I think especially now it would be um, relevant. extremely relevant. Um, so I, oh, oh, when God. was it written? Oh, that's a question of questions. <laughs> but uh, I want to say the early 90s. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I thought you were going to say the Muppet Christmas Carol because that was Christmas. one that you that actually is. rewrote. So that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one, yeah. that one, that needs to be. That really needs to be a stage show. Yeah, they could do it. I'm surprised the Muppets haven't done like a Broadway thing. That's if you want to do something because I mean those puppets don't get used. They keep trying. They had the TV show. They had a whole bunch of different stuff that they they bust them out every like five years for. But then it never sticks. Can you imagine? Yeah, Julie Tamar doing a Muppet show or Muppet Christmas Carol on Broadway or something. Yeah, yeah, and you'd have to get a new Scrooge because Michael Caine is like eighty now. But um, I mean Benedict Cumberbatch or you know, there's there's plenty of options. Um, so uh, you've kind of gone into this a little bit, but uh, what's in the future for you? The immediate future here. Besides Flint and you know all the other stuff that you were talking about, um, well, now that I've I've uh, finished the second draft of that, <laughs> of that um, I'm going to take a, a little step back from that because um, it's a really personal story, um, and sometimes those are quite difficult to uh, to write, um, and you need a little bit of a breather from that. So um, I am actually going to write some lighter stuff material yeah <laughs> um i i have a, a couple of uh of ideas that are, are marinating and um that are that i think are actually going to be pretty fun um so i that's that's what i have are they have plays been. or short plays or what? um yeah i have a i have a short play that uh that i want to write um that uh <laughs> that deals with um to uh to ghosts <laughs> oh <laughs> <laughs> to um to two married uh gentlemen ghosts who uh who move into a house with an old lady and um i don't know is the old lady living she is she okay is, so she it's... is living actually but um I mean, it it sounds uh, ridiculous and probably terrible right now, but no, that sounds. I'm picturing like the odd couple mixed with like, um, like uh, I'm trying to think like, like I was gonna say Golden Girls, but kinda. there's only one woman, so yeah, well, Golden Girl. Yeah, but it's you know it's I I, I it's light uh, it's lighter fare, and uh, sometimes you need to do that. Yeah. Well, very cool. Um, thanks for coming on and talking. Um, it's been good to talk to you. Yeah, um, thank you for having me. Crazy. You know, it's funny. You're like, you're telling me about this play now and you've had, you've, you've gotten responses for both the things you've written. So I'm sure they'll be doing like a movie of that, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> this time next year. Uh, so, um, but no, seriously, I, I hope I'd like to come out to Flint and see Boxcutter. Oh, yeah. um, that would be cool. Um, yeah. 
and uh, we keep an eye on on the other stuff. Have fun with the lab. If I if I don't change my mind in the next week, I won't be there. Okay. So uh, have fun with everybody, Thanks. and um, say hi for me, and uh, and yeah. So we'll we'll keep an eye out for you, Rachel Rachel Cowan Burke. Yes. Very cool. Thanks, um, Alex. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I will be back next week. My guest is uh, New Newberry Award winning author Lynn Ray Perkins. She wrote Crisscross and All Alone in the Universe and a whole bunch of other stuff. Crazy excited to talk to her. Um, so that'll be next week's show. Everybody have a great week. Stay dry. Stay warm. This has been American Winer on Podcast Detroit.